So Ben, are you ready for back to school? Well, we'll see. Um, I, I had that moment. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, Nate and I are both in PhD programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is in, it's a PhD in counseling. And I just had orientation today. And so that's that's basically where I am, where I'm okay. doing the whole analyze the syllabus and get uh, my arms around and my head around all the reading I'm going to have to do. Yes. Uh, it's like 3,000 pages this semester. Yeah, I was going to say, syllabus shock is a different animal in yeah. a PhD seminar. Uh-huh. I might need counseling for my counseling PhD syllabus shock. So uh, They should provide that, <laughs> right? right. You know, that should be, be part of the meta. program. Yeah, it'd be pretty meta. So uh, what about you? Yeah, so as, as we're recording this, I'm wrapping up a theological German class because you have to learn how to read French and German for PhDs in theology. Um, so to be clear, the main reason I'm not doing a PhD in theology is because I don't want to learn French and German. You've, you've and watched me Latin struggle and... through this over <laughs> yeah, the summer, and you're right. like, that doesn't look like... I mean, summer school is already terrible. That's right. But to do that, I mean... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I'm wrapping that up. But then about the time you all are listening to this, we're both going to have our first day of class for the fall. So mm-hmm. I've got I've got studies in theological method. And so I'm thinking a lot about how we do theology, like what are our sources, what are our norms, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so, yeah, this, I, I feel like back to school came for me back in January, and then I didn't really get a summer break. And mm-hmm. for you, it's I, I can think back to the way it was for me. At the beginning of this year, after being out of school for so long, and then yes. you're kind of back in, back into it, and it's assignments, reading lists, due yeah. dates, tests, all the things. So yeah. So along with that, though, we, um, my program in particular, I think yours, yours is probably going to be similar. Um, it really is based around reading really dense books, mm-hmm. and then gathering together in community, and by community, I mean class, mm-hmm. talking about it, taking turns, leading discussion. And so in some sense, I, I've, I've joked that some of these classes are like fancy book clubs, mm-hmm. um, or really it's book clubs on speed because you're doing like a book a week or more uh-huh. that you're having to digest and interact with and discuss. But there is something really formative about that, wrestling with a text together, mm. asking questions of it, making sure you understand it, offering criticisms, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I had already been in this book, spa- er, this book club headspace for the past few months after starting my program back in January. And then I, I don't know how we got talking about this, mm-hmm. but you and I were, were throwing around ideas and there was a book that came along. It was published this time last year, mm-hmm. or like November of last year, uh, called Biblical Critical Theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it has those two words in it that are very buzzwordy, critical theory. Mm-hmm. And it's not about critical theory per se, um, but it is intended to be a textbook at the college undergrad level, and it basically walks people through the biblical story from all the way from Genesis to Revelation, mm-hmm. and kind of, it doesn't do deep level interpretation of biblical texts, but it makes sense of the biblical story. It, it draws some theological conclusions, and then it basically shows how we already have the resources within scripture to Mm. answer a lot of cultural questions. We don't need to run to something like critical theory Mm -hmm. in the abstract sense or even in certain uh, other postmodern versions of it. Mm -hmm. We already have the tools that we need, but we just haven't done a good job of showing how they work. And that's kind of what this book is getting after. And so you've been listening to it. I read it back in the spring and it just sort of came to the idea like, what if we actually did a book club Mm -hmm. or something like a book club on this? Yeah, that's that's so well said. And, you know, for the listener that is 
hearing us and we began by talking about two PhD programs and now we're talking about uh, what we haven't said it yet, uh, a 600 page book, mm. um, people might be thinking, that's great for you eggheads. Like, yeah, <laughs> you go do that. The rest of us have diapers to change or, you know, uh, 60 hour work weeks or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. Right. So so don't I, I don't want you to dismiss this out of hand right away. Listener, um, I, I want you to lean in for a moment. And this is why. Um, C.S. Lewis has this brilliant uh, essay at the beginning of an old, old, old book called On the Incarnation where he uses this phrase chronological snobbery. That's where that's from, right? I think so, yeah. Um, And he makes this really interesting point in there where he talks about how um, wrestling through books that really challenge you um, can often be, for him, he said, more devotional than devotionals. Mm. In other words, people are usually like when they want a, a worshipful exercise or devotional exercise, they will t- pick up a book, um, My Utmost for His Highest, which is fantastic. And they'll, and they'll read that. And, and what he's saying is don't, don't just go to devotionals for devotional experience. Go to hard uh, books that are going ri- to require you to wrestle and to actually use your mind in, in, in ways that might stretch and, and challenge. And, um, and so one of the things I love about this book, uh, Biblical Critical Theory, is that you can tell Christopher Walken has he is an expert. He really, truly is an expert. Mm. Um, and yet he writes with a level of simplicity and ex- uh, accessibility. Uh, so you, an example would be at the end of every chapter, he has a section where he, what, that he calls hot take. And he has these really cool, quirky mind experiments that you do in order to see if you can recall that chapter's yeah. uh, content. But the fact that he uses the word hot take and not like discursive reflection or some like nerdy academic term you you can tell the audience he's writing for and so um we're going to get into the why behind this book but but i i think it's worth saying please don't discredit or discount the fact that this is going to be over your head or too challenging or um lean in and here's the here's kind of a cultural reason why the, the phrase, you said it well, uh, critical theory or critical race theory or uh, various critical theories have become uh, more popular. I mean, it's talked about in the news, especially here in Florida. There's like lots of arguing about it in the public school systems and all mm-hmm. these kind of things. Like these are really important terms that people are using. Um, but to your point, one of the things Christopher Walken is doing uh, is he, he is an expert in critical theory. So he's a He's got a PhD from Cambridge in French philosophy, which is where many of the primary critical theorists come from, mm-hmm. uh, is their French philosophers. And But he's saying, to your, what you said already, um, Christians don't need to, to depend on secular French philosophers or German philosophers or whoever, wherever they come from, in order to really um, analyze the deep structures of culture in order to expose them for what they are and change them, uh, which is the aim of critical theory, critical theories. We don't need that. We have Isaiah. <laughs> yeah. We have Jeremiah. And, and so one of the things I remember experiencing during 2020 when there was upheaval o- around COVID, around George Floyd, and around the election and, and politics, um, and I heard people quoting pundits from the left and from the right and from the... But I didn't hear people quoting... Peter, James, and John, or Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Moses. Mm-hmm. And it it truly irked me. I was like, Christians, why aren't you drawing on these resources? And, and the, the answer is, we didn't know how. 
And yeah. I think that's the reality, and, and, and myself included. And so if you remember back then, we did a series on biblical justice where we tried to do just that. We tried to draw from Leviticus 19 and Isaiah 58 and these core texts in uh, a biblical theory of justice to really challenge and, and, and get at some of the things that were going on culturally. Well, this book does just that better than basically anybody that's come before it, so much so that um, – I, I, in one podcast with uh, Christopher Walken, um, the people in the podcast are also academics and theologians, and they said this very well has the possibility of creating a whole new Christian discipline uh, that is essentially a, a social theory or cultural theory discipline of Christian theology. Uh, it has the potential to do that. It's such a, a seminal book in that sense, and people use that word. All it means is it's it, the seeds of this book have the potential to grow into some great body of knowledge, this great tree of knowledge that that will bear much fruit for generations. That's really high praise yeah. from a bunch of <clears throat> theologians and academics about a book um, that, again, was written for lay people. You don't yeah. have to be a pastor or a theologian or, or a scholar. You can, you can pick this up and read it and find it immediately relevant to your life uh, and to the things you're seeing in culture. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of highlights why we're even picking a book like this for this uh, for this commission community mm-hmm. uh, is that it is it is very accessible like it's it is clearly written to people who don't have a background in French philosophy who don't have a deep you know I read theology books all the time mm-hmm. like he's drawing on a lot of sources but it's like the the prose is very accessible uh, but it's also it, it's not that he's trying to write the last word it's mm-hmm. like he's trying to show a new way of thinking about how the Bible and culture relate to one another. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of built on the assumption that, like you said, it, this would f- not necessarily spawn a new discipline, but it would be there would be more books taking up the style of theology or philosophy that he's using mm-hmm. and apply it more deeply to a certain issue or to draw more more out of certain biblical texts for a very specific issue. And mm-hmm. so it, it's really, in in some sense, it's less... Read this book so you'll have all the answers to the cultural problems of our day so much as read this book and you'll learn how to address those issues Mm -hmm. more fluently and be able to speak to them and carry on conversation and even find out. I mean, it's it's kind of a it doesn't really get old, but it does happen a lot throughout the book where he he talks about two different views Mm -hmm. and then the way through them is diagonal, not by picking either one of them. Mm -hmm. And he's showing that they're false dichotomies. It's Mm -hmm. like it's not really this or that. The biblical picture is actually upholding a little bit of this and a little bit of that and mm-hmm. kind of holding them together with a certain level of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so well said. Well, in, in, it's worth saying, um, again, I'm, I'm sensitive to the people that are listening and that are potentially going to engage in this commission community. Um, I think there's some people out there that might be hearing this and they hear us using the phrase critical theory and they just hear all of the the buzzwords of the culture from a particular political stance and they're like, oh no, this is mm-hmm. not good, right? Like we need to get back to the Bible. We need to, um, and, and I, I actually really sympathize with that perspective. Uh, yeah. and, and so they might hear this and think, is this like some, you know, infiltrating us with like a leftist woke agenda? Like what is this book really about? Mm-hmm. I think you will be really pleasantly surprised because what you'll do if, if you engage with this book and read it, you'll realize he's, he's got some of those same suspicions about the ability of secular ideologies to actually accomplish things like 
justice, which is the, the maybe the primary thing they're yeah. trying to do. He has the same suspicions and hesitations, uh, and he'll affirm them where they need to be affirmed, but he challenges them from within the Bible, mm-hmm. within the biblical canon, which is really remarkable. And we're going to come back to that piece because I think that that's a the, the word biblical in the title is not a throwaway phrase. It's actually really core to the whole project. Yeah. But then some of you in here are, are listening, you hear the word biblical critical theory, and you're like... Gosh, is this just going to be like some Bible study on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why everybody that has concerns about uh, justice and injustice are a bunch of quacks? And, you know, like what we really need to do is get back to the Bible and like and you, and you have the opposite issues and you're wondering, like, what do I do with this? He will give you some very real helpful practical tools to analyze our cultural moment and see injustices for what they are, uh, but to use the tools that are derived from the Bible itself. Uh, and he'll, again, he will affirm secular social theories uh, where, where he can, but he's also going to challenge them in ways where you'll probably lean in and say, you know, if if I have somewhat of a b- biblical worldview, you'll say, hey, his challenges are really, uh, they're really appropriate. Like, um, in other words, Many of the secular theories of uh, secular critical theories overpromise and underdeliver. They cannot actually provide justice, equity. Uh, some of the things that they actually promise that they're going to do, the most they can do is kind of burn the thing down. But they have no project or no vision for how to rebuild anything in its place. Yeah. And so, what's amazing is Western culture was built by the Bible, uh, and its errors and falsehoods and and uh, injustices come from, I believe, divergence from a biblical worldview. But the best of it, the glory of Western culture, comes from its deep, robust biblical heritage. And so, um, Nate, we, you might want to comment on that, but I'd love for you to speak to what he's doing with the the city of God as kind of his, um, you know, this is a, he's an inheritor of Augustine's yeah. project in the city of God. Yeah. He's, he does a very interesting thing where he even draws out that the, even the concept of secular is a Christian concept. Mm. And so the, there's a uh, there's a sense in which you know going back to the city of God, you know the city, you know Augustine's city of God, city of man, and this duality. Mm-hmm. It's like that's a Christian way of understanding culture, and so it, he does a good job of going all the way back there and sort of tracing things forward, and even showing that a lot of secularization, if we want to use that sort of language, mm-hmm. it's actually still pursuing values that are drawn from mm-hmm. Judeo-Christian heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and he one of he draws very heavily throughout the book on a Christian apologist named Cornelius Van Til, mm-hmm. um, and it, one of his big ideas was that um, most other worldviews are using borrowed capital. Mm-hmm. They're, they're taking ideas, they're taking ethics, they're taking values from Christianity, and they're rejecting the framework and thinking they can still go ahead and press forward and build with these ideas and it just doesn't work. It's sawing off the branch that you're sitting on is the... Yeah. Yeah. Van Van Til's famous analogy of it, and I think it shows up here in the book, is that he he was riding on a train and he saw a little girl crawl up into her dad's lap and slap him in the face. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, that's just the perfect picture of what a lot of atheistic philosophers are trying to do. They need to sit in their Heavenly Father's lap in order to get a better angle at slapping him in the face. Mm-hmm. But there wouldn't be a lap if he didn't actually exist, and mm-hmm. there's no point in slapping the face of mm-hmm. something that's not there. And mm-hmm. so it's just a very, very vivid sort of picture. And so in some sense, what what Watkin does in this book with these French philosophers is show that actually what you're trying to do is a good thing. You're just not even doing it very well because of the way you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And we could get where you're trying to get using the tools in scripture and traditional Christian theology and actually 
pursue what you're trying to pursue and achieve it as opposed to just burn it down in the process to mm-hmm. use, you know, kind of what you said a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And Christian theology has been doing this for 2000 years now. And, you know, a couple thousand years before that as Jewish theology, mm-hmm. um, that, that this is not a new thing to culturally, to critique the culture that you inhabit from within using a biblical framework and a biblical lens. Uh, and so, you know, time would fail us to, to talk about all of the revolutionary movements that are that have been uh, bloodless revolutions. They've been actually really good um, where they've, they've thrown out caste systems and they've thrown out, mm. uh, you, you know, the British slave trade led by William Wilberforce. These people that are, that are deeply immersed in the biblical story are able actually to have uh, a vantage point to, to speak to cultural injustices and things like that. Um, and, and maybe the greatest example of that is, uh, Augustine city of God, um, which was written, uh, I think towards the end of the Roman empire as people knew it. And Rome was blaming, but pointing the fingers on all these different people for why the Roman empire was crumbling. And Augustine does this brilliant thing where the first half of the book, he inhabits Roman culture better than the Romans themselves. Now, uh, he, he was, this is his culture. He knows it through and through, but he's quoting their poets, their philosophers, their, you know, uh, quote unquote scientists, they wouldn't have had them, but he's quoting their people to show the inconsistencies and the ways in which their worldview actually collapses in on itself. That's the first half of his book. Mm. The second half of his book, he starts in uh, in Genesis and moves from Genesis to Revelation and basically shows this is a better vision of, that makes better sense of where we are, makes better sense of human life with all of its specificities and particularities and and nuances, but also the, the, the pain and the brokenness, the evil, the glory, the good, the joy, all the things that we experience as human beings, it, it actually makes better sense within the biblical storyline. And so what Christopher Walken does is he actually takes Augustine as his kind of his tutor. Uh, he apprentices him, apprentices himself to the city of God and does that very thing. And so if you're reading this book, you'll notice it is called biblical critical theory because it starts with the beginning. It starts with the Trinity, then gets into creation and Genesis and talks about humanity, talks about sin in Genesis 3. Like So he walks through the biblical storyline and addresses our cultural moment from the Bible in that way. And so um, Tim Keller wrote the foreword in, uh, to this book. And in that, he says, I've been waiting for this book for, for decades. That's where he starts. So if Keller says that, who's read probably more yeah, books than anybody you know, up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lean in. Um, but one of the things he said was, Keller himself was challenged by Watkins' insistence on this being a biblical critical theory, which by that he means this shouldn't be critical theory in general, uh, derived from theology in general, but specifically from the Bible, from the text of scripture. Mm. Um, and then the second thing he said is, is that the biblical story, the, the meta narrative of scripture uh, from Genesis to Revelation is the, every turn in biblical redemptive history is, is the has to be taken into consideration when we take a stance toward culture. Mm. So, um, and, and so the biblical aspect of this is really, really robust. And, um, and, and so you will learn the Bible very well if you read this book. Yeah. Uh, you will learn culture pretty well if you read this book. You will learn how, where the Bible meets culture. You're, you're going to learn how to actually follow Jesus in this cultural moment in a way that you might not uh, be able to if you didn't love God with all of your mind in, by by being apprenticed to what the story of Scripture has to say about our cultural moment, and so maybe the the last thing I'll say, and then, and then Nate, you can wrap us up, is uh, he he asks the question in the introduction, so what? 
And that is actually the question he's asking the entire book. Mm -hmm. So if you're the kind of person here who's like, okay, yeah, okay, big 600-page book, the Bible, cultural, so what? You will be pleased to find that's the exact question he's asking is if you have a God who creates everything in six days and rests on the seventh, so what? What does that mean for how I engage in family and politics and culture and the media I consume? And like, what does that mean for all of life? And that's really what he's doing with this book. He's walking through the Bible from beginning to end and asking the question, so what? Yeah. So helpful. Yeah. And I think that's why, as we've talked about developing what this would look like for a commission community, it needed to have that sort of so what. Mm-hmm. It needed to be something beyond, we're just going to get together and talk about a book. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, there needed to be sort of a, a sentence that comes from that or, a, oh, now that I understand this, this speaks to this issue where I live, work, learn, and play. Mm -hmm. And this is how I can now address it, lean into it, do X, Y, or Z. So yeah, the, the, so what is going to be really central as we move through this book and just, just even in closing, I know we've alluded to how big the book is and I just want to bring us back to where we started and Mm say, unlike a PhD seminar, (laughs) uh, we're not trying to do this in a semester Mm -hmm. and we're actually not even going to try to do this in a set time period because I want to leave breathing room for the discussion. Mm -hmm. And so we may try to do roughly a chapter a week, we may find that, hey, this chapter is really dense. Let's Mm -hmm. spend two weeks here. Let's do the first half this week, do the first half next week. And Mm -hmm. so if we do a chapter a week, we would finish the book by next May, which is, so I'm I'm giving us a whole year ministry cycle to get through it, but Mm -hmm. I'm also sort of not upset if it doesn't happen because at the end of the day, it's not a class. We're not you're not writing a paper. You're not getting graded. This is for your spiritual formation, which mm-hmm. is something that you can't really put on a strict timeline. And mm-hmm. so we're going to create space every week starting September 10th to go through this after church on Sundays. Um, and we'll see where it goes through that. And maybe we finish half the book by December. Maybe we're still in Genesis because mm-hmm. he spends like the first, I think it's like 12 chapters in Genesis. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, just drawing things out that you wouldn't think, you know, applications that he can make ways this story in Genesis speaks to a very common cultural issue. Mm-hmm. So I, as I was reading through it this spring, I was like, oh, this would be a great book to discuss with people. And I think it's a great tool to help raise people's biblical theological literacy mm-hmm. if they're willing to invest a little bit of time in reading every week and mm-hmm. a lot more time. You'll spend, we'll spend more time discussing every week than I think people will spend reading to be prepared for discussion. That's great. Well, and there's other resources available online, uh, some YouTube videos that kind of summarize the chapters and different ways in which you can engage with this book that, that I think will be really helpful. Um, it, you know, I was going to have, I said, I want you to wrap up, but I, I kind of want to make an appeal. And that is this. Um, I said in 2020, I was really discouraged by the state of the church and the way we engaged with the cultural moment. Uh, four years later, we're coming up on another election year in 2024. Mm. So we will be working through this book during an election year. And so you better believe that there will be lots of these topics drudged up if you've been, you know, if they've been somehow not on your feed, whatever that is for the last yeah. year, year and a half, whatever. They're coming back. And so if you want to have the tools, if you want to have the mindset, the worldview, the frameworks, if you want to have the devotion to Jesus as really following Jesus is the way forward, the way out, 
um, this book is a great way to disciple your mind and to and to have your the rest of you follow suit as you uh, as you lean in to hear how Jesus would speak to a lot of these topics that uh, you can guarantee the political cycle is going to address and that mm-hmm. will be really important as you move towards uh, the good civic duty of being a voter uh, and are choosing candidates that um, represent values that are congruent and not in conflict with those that a uh, follower of Jesus would hold. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I hadn't even thought of that just yet, but I think that's a good point is so he doesn't, he's not overtly political, but the things he's addressing are political issues. And that's I think right. he's going to prepare us to have better discussions about it this next year. That's great. Well, thank you, Nate, for leading this. I, I don't know of anybody that would be more uh, suited uh, to do this. And so I, you know, I'm not sure what my obligations will be like after worship every Sunday, mm. but I would be glad I will dip in as often as I can, because I want to engage in this book and community as well, because it's been so formative for me just as I've been reading it, and it's been incredibly helpful. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. Maybe you can guest lead when I'm out of class in October sometime. <laughs> That's great. Well, I look forward to that. Yeah.